They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, the guy who knows a guy himself, Michael Whitehouse, and today our guest is Jeff Nishwitz. Known as a facilitator of truth, snow globe shaker, and the leader of shift. Jeff Nishwitz is a man on a mission. A mission to help people shift how they lead and thereby shift their leadership impact. Jeff's the founder of the Nishwitz Group, a speaking, consulting, and coaching company that transforms people and organizations one truth at a time. He also co-hosts the Leadership Junkies podcast. So welcome to our podcast, Jeff. Oh, thank you, Michael. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Absolutely. Yes. Great to have you on here. And so I'm going to start with the traditional first question, which is, Jeff, what makes you awesome? (laughs) I love that question because I don't get asked that a lot. Um, (laughs) A couple things come to mind. Um, And these are based upon things other people have said, which make them even truer. I am a noticer, which means that I tend to notice everything that's happening. In, in communication and interactions, in human dynamics and people dynamics, team dynamics. I just, I sort of witness what's happening, but it's not just the details. It's sort of the undercurrent. So I not only read between the lines, but I read sort of the, the, the space between the notes and music <laughs> of leadership. The other thing is it makes me awesome that I can own. I'm really good at questions. Not necessarily scripted questions, but in the moment, just trusting and knowing what's the question that needs to be asked next, mm. whether it's with a friend or with a coaching client. Those are a couple of things I can really own. I'm a noticer, and I'm really pretty good at questions. Oh, pretty good questions. Being a, a somewhat trained coach myself is a superpower. Of superpower oh, it is, right? In the coaching world. <laughs> The, the, the right question. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll have times when my coach asked me a question and it's you know, a very simple question. And I'll be like, oh, you're right. And he'll be like, I just asked you a simple question. And I'm like, I know what you were asking. You know well, what you, you know, did. <laughs> you know this is a coach, Michael. I The thing I call it now is I call it listening for the next question. Mm-hmm. Not listening for the answer, but what's the next question? And I tell people that the greatest compliment I get from clients is when they swear at me. And it's usually after I ask a question, before they answer it, and they'll swear at me and I'll say, you're welcome, because they're swearing at me as a version of, I didn't really want to know that or think that or understand that about Uh myself, but thank you for helping me see something. And sometimes it's painful. I'm going to take it out on you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sometimes I've I've called those the, the the two wow questions. You ask the question, they go, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they first pause and then they, and as it as it comes to them like, oh wow, yeah, yeah, that that's that's always amazing. So how did you get started in your business? I stumbled into it. I, I you know, a lot of people have this great design, but the quick backstory is I'm a former lawyer. I'm a full I call myself a fully recovered ex-lawyer, <laughs> practiced law a long time. 
when exploring, I quit because I realized I didn't, I had my own firm and everything. I quit because I just realized I didn't love it mm-hmm. and it wasn't fulfilling me. And so I, I tried a lot of different things, but I was doing business development back in the early 2000s. And I decided to write a book just because I always wanted to write a book. I had no consultancy, no coach, no reason to write a book other than mm-hmm. I want to write a book. And it was about how to run and build law firms like a business. And not a lot of people bought it, but one gentleman bought it in Charleston, West Virginia. And he called me one day and said, I love your book. I'm using it in our firm. And he asked the question, do you do coaching? And I gave the correct answer, which is, of course, yes, I do. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's a completely true story, which led to me securing a coaching engagement with about a dozen of their people. And I did that and I said, wow, that was really fun. And I feel like I'm really good at this. Let's get really good at it. And my business evolved from that. So it was not a plan. Mm. It was more of just being present and saying yes, saying yes to the opportunity. That, that is that is a huge huge that's been a theme recently. I talked to like that theme has come up in a number of conversations recently that say yes, you know, when when opportunity knocks, open the freaking door. <laughs> when someone says, Can I hire you to yes, yes you can. <laughs> that that is that is crucial. So so who are the people you're you primarily work with now? Uh, most of my clients are business owners or sometimes the senior folks, and occasionally I'll be brought in to work with the team in a business, but they're some form of leader. I will say this, I tend to work with groups of people that are leaders as opposed to limiting to positional leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, we had so, we talk so much about there's the leader because of their position, but I'm typically working with the business owners or the team in that business to help amplify their leadership work on their communication, work on their trust, work on accountability, help them navigate the blind spots. You know, that's something I'm also pretty good at is helping people spot their own blind spots so they can not get tripped up so much in the future. And and, and what do you find are some of the, the biggest challenges that teams have that they're not aware of? Well, I would say the biggest one is the assumptions they make about the quality of their trust levels. Hmm. It's the, I call it the most scare, the most frightening conversation to talk about where you are with trust in your organization. We're terrified to have the conversation because we want to believe that trust is high because it feels good to think trust is high. And we may say, well, we don't have any horrible trust issues, but any trust issue is a big issue because I look at trust as the foundation of all of it. It's mm-hmm. the foundation of relationships. It's the fa- foundation of communication, of execution. All the things we say we want come back to trust. And when organizations or leaders come to me and say, we've got all these issues, or, or maybe it's not even an issue, it's a, an unresolved opportunity, something they're just not getting through, I, I'm pretty clear ahead of time, look, I'm going to guarantee you we're going to find some trust issues here. So the big blind spot is we assume high trust when the reality is we have trust issues. And the big thing I would say, Michael, is in, in rare cases, are we intentional about trust? Mm-hmm. Because trust is really two things. How do we build trust? Which is about intentionality of certain behaviors and avoiding all the things that break down trust that we're doing every day. But we don't talk about it that way. So part of the conversation I bring is let's have a conversation about trust 
because that's the issue we need to work on first before we figure out the strategies, tactics, X's and O's. Interesting. So what do you find people are doing that breaks down trust uh, accidentally? Uh, that's a funny one because uh, I do this exercise when I do workshops, Michael. Well, I have little groups say, make two lists for me. I want you to make a list of the things that build trust and make a list of the things that break trust. Mm-hmm. Now, they actually figure it out because the list of the break trust is a lot longer because the build trust is usually only five or six things. Uh, and one of those five or six is don't do the things on the other list. So, <laughs> you know, building trust is uh, demonstrating genuine care, uh, demonstrating genuine care and empathy for other people. Um, do what you say you're going to do. Um, have alignment between your words and your actions. Uh, be fully present with someone because when you're really present, they really feel seen, valued, and heard. Mm-hmm. And don't do these other things. But on the list, uh, uh, being late for meetings, not doing what you say you're going to do, not being accountable, not taking responsibility, uh, talking behind people's back, um, being extremely judgmental. Um, the big one, though, that, you know, and all those, you know, certainly lying. But that's the problem. You know, I always say, you know, you might trust that nobody on your team is going to steal your wallet and take your money. But do you trust they have your back? Yeah. Do you trust that when they give you feedback, it's really about helping you improve versus making them look better? So it's these little things that we can list. And that's why I challenge them. I'll say, how many of you have a to-do list? Everybody's got a to-do list mm-hmm. to some degree. And I'll say, how many of you have things on your to-do list right now that are about trust? No one ever does. Mm-hmm. So we're not even giving it the attention. You know, if you've got, if you and I have a relationship issue, we've got a disconnect in our relationship. A trust building to-do might be me choosing to have a conversation with you about that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm really going to be vulnerable and take a risk with you, which means some trust, Am I willing to talk to you about the impact of your behavior on me? But it takes trust. So it's this its this circle because I need a certain level of trust to have the conversations with you. And those conversations will build more trust. But I have to be willing to be vulnerable to have the conversation. And that's why I think trust and vulnerability tie in so beautifully and in so many challenging ways. Because I can't build trust without vulnerability. And I can't be vulnerable without some degree of trust, but there's still a risk in it. That's what makes it vulnerable. Yeah, no, I, I can certainly see that. I've seen that in, in, in my business. Um, Cause my business has been an interesting, interesting journey, but pandemic pivot and spent 2021, you know, doing R and D, which I now retrospectively call it R and D. I, during the year I was like, I'm an Uber driver who hopes he runs a business someday. But looking <laughs> back, Oh, I, I was supplementing my income with Uber as I did research and, you know, did the necessary initial steps to build a business. But I shared that with someone and, and their response is like, wow, I, you know, I love that honesty that you're admitting that recently you weren't, didn't have a lot of cash flow, And, uh, cause so many, so many entrepreneurs like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm, uh, shopping around for Ferrari. I haven't gotten one yet. Cause I haven't found the right color, but you know, I'm getting <laughs> one soon. Um, but the, the power of that vulnerability by being willing to say, you know, yeah, three months ago I was driving a lot of Uber. Um, mm-hmm. people are more willing to work with me and more willing to, to partner and hire me because they're, they're not afraid. They're like, Hey, what else am I going to find out from this guy? 
Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's real. You're being real. Yep. You're yeah, being so, human. You're yeah, being it's hu- human. hugely powerful. So what are some of the things you, you find that, that companies or teams miss out on? Uh, what are some things you find that companies and teams miss out on because they lose, um, because they don't have that trust? Well, my initial gut reaction is everything. Uh, because if you, if you don't have trust, you're not going to have engagement. And I guess the, uh, the simpler way to say it is this, Michael. When people feel safe, which is based upon trust, a lot of that psychological safety, when they feel seen, valued, and heard, when they feel the organization or the leader has their back, they give it all. They're all in. However, when they feel uncertain, which means there are some trust issues, they withhold everything. They withhold engagement. They withhold effort. They withhold ideas. They withhold communication. They withhold commitment. Uh, They withhold um, having other people's back. So they go in this protection mode. So Mm. that's why it's so foundational because if if I've got a good trust level, I feel safe and I can really be in. But if I have trust issues, I don't feel safe. I'm I'm not going to be in. And I'm going to dance around the edges and I'm going to protect myself. And that just, you know, when people's organizations say we want to have a great culture, I say, why? Because culture serves two purposes. It creates a a wonderful environment in which which people can work together. And it's a place they want to be. And they achieve results. They they say they want results. But if you're not (laughs) building trust, (laughs) <laughs> and having these vulnerability in order to build trust, you're not going to have the people engaged. You're not going to have the results you want. And I got to tell you, Michael, it's some days, you know, I forget how many decades ago it was. So this is not new wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe it was Peter Drucker. Someone said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of research, verifiable research, that says that culture drives performance. Right. Yet, how many organizations are really committed to and investing in culture? The answer is very, very few. Yeah. After decades of this, this is not new science. Mm -hmm. This is not new. And yet, we're still in a place of the initiatives around culture are viewed as nice to have. Um, And I I think, like you said, uh, I answered one of the earlier questions with blind spots. Ultimately, you could put it in a giant bucket of mush that says, we just think, we like to think we're better than we really are. Mm, Yeah. At everything. And therefore, we're not going to give time and attention to something because we think we're already pretty good. No one's been willing to tell us that we're not. Yeah. Well, because changing culture means changing how people behave. And so someone has to get the message of they're not doing the right thing and not just they're they're clicking the wrong button on the computer, but they're talking to people wrong and they're interacting. And who wants to hear, yeah, so the way you talk to people, that fundamental human interaction, you need to fix that. <laughs> well, and that's why I, you know, one of the things I talk with companies and leaders about is impact awareness and impact responsibility. Are you really paying attention to the impact you want to create Mm-hmm. Are you paying attention to the impact you're actually having, even when it's unintended? And do you take responsibility for it? Like in your example, someone, I have to go to you to say, um, hey, Michael, um, the way you communicate with me is having is not working for me. Well, that's likely to put up a wall for you just because yeah. you want to believe you're not doing that. Instead of being open, and I might come to you and one of the, I love um, 
scripted questions, especially for uncomfortable conversations. So in that space, the question is often, hey, Michael, are, are you open to us having an impact conversation? Because hmm. I'm asking permission, and I use the word open on purpose because I'm saying, are you open? And hopefully you'll genuinely be open, and by saying open, you actually did open. Mm-hmm. And now I talk about impact, which is about me, less than about your behavior. Mm-hmm. So when you communicate this way, that's about you. It makes me feel less than. It makes me feel like you don't trust me. It makes me feel like you don't value me. It makes me feel like uh, you don't think I have something to add. It doesn't mean that you actually think that, but that's how I'm feeling. So if you get this right, how can you argue with how I feel? (laughs) But too many leaders do. They'll say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. That's not what I meant. That tells me you have abdicated that responsibility for the impact you created. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're really back to what are these things that are really at play in our human interaction, which is about relationships and about trust. That's When we get into that, we can really transform our leadership and all the things we say we want to create through our leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, that concept. I, I, I try to explain to my daughter very often the, the difference between responsibility and blame. And that if, you know, if, if, uh, responsibility means you have the power to fix it. Blame means it's your fault. You're bad. Or responsibility, you know, if the reason why we are late for the bus is because she got dressed slow, there's nothing I can do to dress her faster. She did it. Now, we can decide if if it's her fault or not and if she's in trouble or not, but I can't get dressed any faster because it's not me who got dressed slow. Um, And so trying to explain that, like, I we're talking about this because if you don't know what you did wrong, you can't do better next time. Because this is what happens you grow up when your dad's a coach. Um, you know, you're not well, in trouble. Well, you have to also own that you're making choices in there. One of my new phrases, it just hit me last week. So this is fresh off the press oh, of wow. my brain, okay. which is if I don't own my choices, I can't own my future outcomes. Mm, okay. Because I've got to be willing to own my choices, even when you're talking about getting dressed. Yep. You know, um, it took me longer to get dressed. Now, did it really take me longer? Well, probably did technically, but what happened in there? Mm-hmm. You know, I was overthinking what I was going to wear. I thought too much about yeah. it or I started dressing later than I, so I made these choices. I chose to mm-hmm. play my word game on my phone for an extra three minutes. Yep. When, if I own big and little choices, that means I have the ability to impact the future. Yeah. But if I don't own the choice, I have no ability to impact the future. Because all I have are my choices. Yep. Yeah, it's just bad luck. I just I'm I'm late because of bad luck. It just took me longer to dress. I don't know why. It's just a yeah, slow I, day. I ran out of time. Huh? I ran out of time. Yeah. Really? yeah. Did yeah, you have a mis- misunderstanding about how much time you had? You you had the yeah, same twenty four seven I had. Yeah, that, that, that mini hand just kept moving. If if the minute <laughs> hand would have stopped, I wouldn't be late. Stupid clock. Gotta get rid of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. So my daughter's seven and and I, I try to give her the space to to make choices. Um, and it's amazing the how good of choices a child will make if you give them the responsibility and information to do so. Uh, you know, when she was three, I was letting her pick her bedtime and she she went to bed later than most kids do, but not two in the morning. She'd go to bed right. at, you know, nine thirty or ten. Um, and, and today we, we missed the bus and I gave her the choice of, you could either face the usual fair cost of me having to drive you to school because it takes time out of my day, 
or we could assess what the reason was why you were late and and put that into play and and she said i think i was late because i watched tv too much i said okay how about next week you not watch tv in the morning for a week and we try that instead of 24 hours with no tv at all she's like okay i'll do that i think that will help and and and, you know and it's about and the tough thing as a parent is like get the emotion out of it which i'm sure bosses have that too get the emotion out of it get the the frustration of like oh you're late again um and it's like how do we fix this well, you know what I love about that, Michael, is you, you, you two things I love about it, which I think are critical in really being an impactful leader. One is you used questions and engaged her in the process. Mm-hmm. You weren't telling her what things needed to be. You're asked getting her to self-assess. Yep. That's with power of questions. The other thing you did is you made the, the consequence directly relevant to what the behavior was. It wasn't just lateness. It was get to the cause. Oh, it's about watching TV. Mm-hmm. So now it's it's hard for, I mean, she might be upset. She's seven, but it's a lot harder because she can say, wow. So we're in something's impacted that's directly related to what I did mm-hmm. versus, you know, what if you said, well, um, <laughs> you got to do an extra two hours of homework this week. Yeah. Well, what's that have to, that has nothing to do with the choice she made. Yeah. So you tied it to a choice. You showed a consequence. I love that. I mean, they're right there, right there. What you described as a model for developing our people mm-hmm. in the business world, and they're much older than seven, at least yeah. <laughs> chronologically. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's why I bring it up because you know if you can do it with because I, I think a lot of people are like well you know kids are irrational and you can't work with them and well you, if you talk at them, um. That, that, yeah, just like if you talk at an adult, it's not going to work. But if you, as I said, you engage them in the process, it's, it's very powerful. Um, and it can have, can have very powerful effect um, in, in doing that. And, and yeah, I, I, I told you what you're saying, that, that it's amazing how empowered some people, because I, I know there's some, especially entrepreneurs who are like, why, don't, why does my staff work as hard as I do? Like, well, you don't empower them. You don't give them space and they're not incentivized. They have a flat salary. So why would they work as hard as you do? Um, well, and start it, with all the other reality is I've found that it's incredibly rare that you'll find team members that will work as hard as you do as an entrepreneur, not just because you're an entrepreneur, but they've never been through the scary stuff like you have. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never had to, you know, their mortgage depend on what they created yeah. versus the salary. So there's a, it's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different mindset, but even when you get to what is a, you know, a natural, more of a natural level of engagement and work, just what you said, they make me feel like I'm a part of this mm-hmm. and let me, let me be that person. Yeah, of, and- if you tell me what to do all the time, why am I going to show up differently than what you told me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you are talking to that kind of entrepreneur, um, cause I, I'm, I'm, I just definitely discovered there's an entrepreneur mindset and an employee mindset. And if you're in that entrepreneur mindset and you hire employees, you might be confused as to why don't they do the thing they should do. Um, so, so how, how do you work with those kinds of teams to, to help an, the entrepreneur mindset leader get the, the employee mindset employees to, to give their best? Um, in general, what I would say is it's the same thing I do with everybody, no matter what the challenge or missed opportunity is. I'm a big believer 
that I spend more time with my clients on helping them remove obstacles rather than create new approaches. Um, so, you know, we're all looking for the next best thing. What's the next mm-hmm. tool, the next idea, the next tip and tactic, all good stuff. But what I've found is our biggest obstacles are literally obstacles. They're the thing in their way. It could be a lack of awareness. It could be, uh, we just need a different perspective on that. So for example, Take an entrepreneur in the scenario you have. Entrepreneur Mm -hmm. is expecting their people to work as hard as they do. First of all, right there, that's an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. So they have that expectation. It's not met. Now they think less of their people. They start feeling like they're on their own. Nobody has their back. That's not going to feed the kind of culture and teamwork together they want to have. And what did it start? It started with just the wrong um, expectation that wasn't met. But now we say, so what are you really looking for? Because are you really looking for people who work as hard as you do? Maybe initially, yes, but let's think through what you really want and how have you made it clear? Because think about this. If you've really gone to your people and, as you said, incentivize them mm-hmm. for working hard, there's a lot of people who actually will, yeah. but they're going to do it because you incentivized them and they understood what that looked like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I like this phrase, get beyond um, hard work. The real question is, can you find team members that are going to care? They're never going to care as much as you do. This is your baby. I mean, if you're not, it's your child. Yeah. They're not going to care as enough, but do they care about the place? Do they care about the people? Because when you do that, you can create a lot on the basis of that caring. But I'd take caring over skills and tactics all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting them, getting them engaged in in feeling the the mission, the core, the the vision. Absolutely. Those kind of things. So so what can an entrepreneur do to, to get their team aligned with them and to care about it? Um, well, I love what you just said because you set up the simplest, one of the simplest statements. Mm-hmm. If you've got an entrepreneur saying, I wish you cared more, what I say to the entrepreneur is you need to care more. Mm. you got to give more of what you're asking for because the entrepreneur is going to say, I care more about this business than anything. I said, I'm talking about your people. Mm. Because that's the mis- the disconnect. Entrepreneurs care about the business and they want their people to care about the business. But if you want your people to care about the business, you need to care about your people. Yeah. As much or more than the business. And that's the disconnect because they think it doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. I want you to care about the business. But they're going to care about the business to the degree and almost sort of an inverse relationship based upon how much or how little you demonstrate you care about them yep. in the everyday are you engaging with them? Are you having conversations where they feel valued? Are you having uh, the, when you, uh, do you treat them like children? Mm-hmm. You know, do you demonstrate how much you trust them or do your behavior suggest you don't trust them? Yeah. We are seeing that massively right now as we deal with remote work and hybrid work and coming back to work and coming back to the office. So many leaders and organizations are saying, hey, I trust you. Yet a lot of the drivers for their issues with remote work come down to trust issues mm-hmm. and the people feel it. And then they wonder why the people aren't engaged. Yeah. I trust you. I just don't think you're doing any work at home. Right. I trust you, but I need all these systems in place to prove that you're working at home. I trust you. I just think you're lying. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> trust me. I do. Trust me. I think you're lying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so well, I mean, I'm thinking about business owners I've known who have done things 
Um, you know, e- even little things like, you know, uh, an employee's car broke down and so they, they pay for them to get an Uber back and forth to work. And, and it's just like, no, I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. Um, and it probably costs them 30, 40 bucks for the ride. But for the employee, that was, that's now like, they don't have to worry about how they're gonna pay for their groceries because they're not taking their grocery money to pay for the Uber. And, and, you know, it's the little things and paying attention to those needs. And some of them aren't about money. Some of them are just being caring enough to have that conversation with those people Mm -hmm. and to, and to respect the differences. For example, I mean, I'm not talking about diversity, equity, inclusion differences. Now that's a whole nother topic, but Mm -hmm. look at what happened during the pandemic. All these people went and worked at home. Well, Think about the different challenge for the people, the parents who are working at home mm-hmm. and their homeschooling children. Very different experience than the person who's working at home who, for whatever reason, doesn't have children mm, or their yes. children are older. But I, as the employer, treat them the same. Mm. And I don't even give a hint that I recognize there's a different experience they're having. Even if it's nothing more than really genuinely checking in regularly to say, you know, Michael, you know, I got to imagine with three kids at home, you know, it's really challenging with school. You know, how's that going for you? Mm-hmm. And really be present and listen, you can't solve it, but people know if you're interested in that answer or you're just, you know, saying how things are at home. Yeah. And, and even adding to it, me saying, you know, I don't know, I can't imagine what that's like. It's got to be so much more difficult because my kids are older. And I'm, I mean, I think it's challenging enough just working from home. Mm-hmm. Or someone says, I'm really, I'm burning out at home. Well, let's talk about that. What's going on? You know, sometimes it's about setting boundaries at home. Let's talk about maybe some ways you can set some boundaries at home differently. Because I don't want you burnout. I don't want you overworking. Mm-hmm. Versus, well, I appreciate getting the extra work out of you. <laughs> no, I don't want you to overwork. I want you to have a life. Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to just the basic elements of being more human with each other. I love that. Yeah. And I think a couple of examples I've seen along those lines. One is, is, um, I, I can't remember who was I saw do this, but, but they, they jokingly were like, you know, if you got cute kids running by in the background, you better bring them on screen <laughs> right. because, you know, you better be sharing with the class here. Um, so it, instead of the usual mindset of like, you got kids, you better hide them. We don't want to hear them or see them. Like, you got a kid, you better be letting us all see and all go, ah, yeah, we're, we're going to pause this business meeting so we can all go, ah, okay, now we got to back to work. And the other one, I'm one of the one of my clients, um, a, a key person in the company, the the owner, it instructed her that she was going to take two weeks off. Not like, yeah, do you need some time off? It's like, okay, after this major thing, you're going to take two weeks off. It's like, no, I think I can. You're gonna take two weeks off because we've been working you too hard. You're going to rest. And she's like, okay, that's an order. You're resting. <laughs> Um, yeah, we did that with a, a team member a long time ago when I had my law firm. We had She just mm-hmm. wouldn't stop working. And she was single and really didn't have a lot of outside activities. So all she did was work. And we kept saying, stop working so hard. Cause we don't want you working this hard. But that was what she wanted to do. So we said, take time off. Well, she didn't. So we booked her vacation for her. She came in one day and we had her an envelope. She goes, what's this? I go, you're getting away. <laughs> what do you mean? I go, well, in that side that envelope two weeks from now. You are going away for a week. You also have, we've rented a condo for you and there's actually two tickets in there. So take a family member or a friend, but whatever, you're going because you can't say no to this. And, uh-huh. You know, cause that, but that's that thing of we cared enough to go the extra mile 
Yeah. To, to really treat her, like demonstrate to her, we really care about you. Even if you're saying you're fine working all those hours, mm-hmm. it's not okay with us. Yeah. 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 And I, and I feel like just the, the, the energy of that, because obviously the rest of the team is going to have to pull together and cover, you know, cover what she's not doing and whatnot. But I feel like the energy there is like we're taking care of someone, not like, oh, we're short because she's on vacation. Must be nice. It's more like, all right, yeah, let's pull together because because we, we care about our, our team member. Well, and you raise an interesting point, maybe without even meaning to, Michael. And I think a lot of this is showing up today in our, our pandemic world. Pre-pandemic, I would say the tipic, the most common mindset in organizations and leaders was, as best as possible, we're going to treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And that was viewed as fair. And I'm not sure I always agreed with that, even then. But today, the circumstances are so different, and we're, we've got this, this pull to say, you know, maybe people need to be treated differently because that would actually be more fair because their mm-hmm. circumstances are different, right? I remember years ago, we had a team member who came to me, and he had been with us a while. He worked for me. His name was Jamie. And he said, hey, Jeff, I have a request. What's that, Jamie? My wife and I are buying a house. We're coming up a little short on the deposit. Would the firm be willing to loan me a few thousand dollars so we can buy our house. I go to my two partners. Now I go to them basically saying, Hey, this, we got to do this. They had every objection in the world. It was, wait a minute. What if he doesn't, we need to get a promissory note. And what if, and basically he had said, you can take it out of my bonus at the end of the year, which would always cover it historically. Mm-hmm. Well, what if he leaves? And, and you gotta be kidding me. What if everybody in the firm wants it? I go, well, not everybody in the firm has earned the right to that. He -hmm. has earned the right because he has demonstrated through his commitment how much he cares about this place. And I said, I have no trouble saying to someone else, no, while you're a yes. And I'm like, he's not going anywhere. Are you kidding me? And they wanted to document it. I said, we're not even doing a note. I'm not saying to everybody that's the greatest strategy. But I said, this was a bunch of lawyers. Which I I feel like that's part of the culture. Yeah, and I was a lawyer. And I'm going, no, we're not. This is based on trust. And yep. I mean, how loyal was he after that? Even more loyal, if that's oh, yeah. possible. Oh, yeah. And it was a little thing. Come on. Mm-hmm. Be human. Back then, I mean, just get a, you know, a tattoo. Be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that's a, that's a huge, huge point. I j- joke about, you know, the lawyers aren't big on trust. But um, but that's. Uh, well, that, that's part of that's their training, though. Yeah. So, I'll um, be honest. Lawyers are taught in law school to distrust and question everything and everyone. And yeah. it, it's hard to get rid of, I'll tell you. Yeah. But, but I can see it being extremely powerful in terms of, and, and I imagine the amount of money, which was life-changing for him was probably not life-changing for the firm. No, it was not. Yeah. Even if that had gone badly and he had, you know, skipped town the next week, uh, then, then, you know, you'd be like, eh, oh, well. Yeah, that's an example of, you know, you got to choose your risk because mm-hmm. everything's a risk. We, saying no to him was a risk. Yeah. Saying yes to him was a risk. Whether we have a, a, a promissory note or not, there's risk on both sides. There's always risk. That's what people forget. There's always, yep. they're always typically our, our default is to focus on the risk of things go, if things go badly. Mm-hmm. But what about the risk of not doing it? What about the risk, the upside of what if it goes well? 
Yep. Yep. Did you forget that side of the question? Hello, McFly. And I love the point you made too about how if another employee come to you and be like, hey, do that for me too, you could have explained, well, we did it for him because of A, B, and C. Uh, and we do that for any employee who had done A, B, and C. And you know, Well, that's you can, right. You can clearly explain, you know, well, you know, you've been with us for nine months. He's been with us for nine years. Um, when, you've, when you've demonstrated that, that value, then you know, eight years from now, and you want to buy a house, come talk to me. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that another place that shows up because I'm hearing, I've heard a lot of conversations about this recently, and I love how some of these leaders have approached compensation, mm-hmm. where they have a team member that comes to them and asks for a raise. The, this question, it's a brilliant question, something like, so let's say you come to me and ask for a raise. And I just say, well, Michael, thank you. Um, <laughs> tell me. What instead of saying why do you want to raise, sh- just let me know. Can you lay out for me the case for that raise? Mm-hmm. And they said most of the time they can't because they just want to raise. And it's not saying the raise is good or bad, but people need to understand if you're doing it well that there's a reason people get raises. I mean, even I mean this same situation. This employee back then, I had an employee come to me. In fact, him, the guy that got the loan, saying, hey, I just found out, I know I'm not supposed to know, but I found out someone who just started here six months ago makes more than me. I said, well, obviously you're not supposed to know that, but I know that gets around. And he goes, well, you keep telling me I'm this great employee. I go, you absolutely are. I would say you're our top employee. He goes, well, why is she making more than me? I said, honestly, because that's what she asked for. The market has changed a little bit. And we made that decision. I said, now, wh- what decision we are making is we're, I've decided we're not going to move you right now in the middle of the year, just not. But I said, trust me, come the next time around, this won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. And that was a trust thing. And sure enough, I mean, we bumped him huge. Now, you can, you can argue both ways whether oh, we should make it here. We just made a decision not to. But he thought he should get a raise just because someone else came in and asked for more. Mm-hmm. And that can happen in a company, but we were willing to just have those honest conversations and say, actually, no, but trust me, when the time comes, you'll be the top dog in pay here. And he was. Yep. And it was just that moment of, because he was used to being in places that that's how it worked, you know, where they didn't weren't thoughtful about compensation and it wasn't based upon your contribution. It was just random, you know, lockstep. We didn't do lockstep. I didn't yeah. care how much experience you had. I care how much value you're bringing to our organization. So it was value-based compensation. Yeah, this is something I've seen a lot in a lot of the entrepreneurial organizations that are more, you know, 1099 teams and whatnot. And 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 there it's much more tight and, and often it's much more incentive-based. You know, you get 10% of this revenue stream or something like that, which encourages a lot of entrepreneurs to work on the team which can be great because then you can kind of be like, here's the objective and here's a couple tools and grab anything else you need. Good luck. <laughs> um, and the right kind of person would be like, awesome, let's go boss. I'm off to go do the thing. Um, as opposed to the, the, the tent, the W2 mindset of, of, you know, well, nobody told me to do it and uh, I'm just getting paid to be here. So, all right. And yeah, that, that's, that's a powerful thing in the, you know, creating the right, the right environment and mindset. 
Well, it's funny. I think I can't think of. Well, I can think of one example. There's so many ways we can get that lesson through our social, um, not social media, but through like television and movies. Mm-hmm. There's these things that happen, but a lot of times we don't see them. That's one of the places where I'm a noticer. I'll say, "Oh my God, did you notice that conversation? That was such great leadership there." And or just you know, I think I was watching the show the other day where they this the character had this really unique interview process, mm-hmm. and you and, and one was a winner and one was a loser, and you just go, "That was such a great exercise they did. Mm-hmm. Completely allowed these people to reveal themselves." And in that case, actually, what it turned out is one was a blamer and one was because one person was, I can't believe you're doing this, you know, all pissed off like they did something to them. And the other was, hey, um, would you be willing to tell me what I what I need to learn from this? It's like, I'm hiring you. <laughs> I'm hiring you. <laughs> I love it. That, that's that's so powerful. Well, so this has been some some incredible insights and some really a really interesting conversation. Um, and and fun. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad it was fun. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your podcast and then about how people can get in touch with you. Well, the podcast is Leadership Junkies, Leadership Junkies podcast. Um, we got uh, started a couple of years ago. I think we got like 182 episodes. We're on a season break right now, but there's tons of content out there. It's about everything leadership. It's everything from personal leadership, like how are you working to grow yourself, uh, team leadership, like how are you managing and growing those teams, addressing trust, institutional leadership, you know, how are you building culture and strategy and, and sales and marketing. So anything, any range of topics that touches leadership, whether it's personal, professional, that's what we're talking about. They're great conversations because we just get on and we record and we chat and see what comes up. We have no script, which I love. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just talk about what's coming up for folks. Uh, that so that's the podcast. It's out there. Love for you to check in with us. You know, people want to find me. I'm easy. But if you can spell my last name, you can find me. N i s c h w i t z. Website is nishwitzgroup.com. Email me Jeff at nishwitzgroup. I'd love to have a conversation. I have a if you find, if you track me down, you can sign up for my daily video, which I'm really proud of. I, I started that right after COVID. I wasn't doing a lot of video then. And uh, let's see, t- uh, today I published video number 483. Ah, nice. Five right. days a week for almost two years now. And you can sign up and get those and get yourself uh, inspired or intrigued every day. It, it, it's amazing how those rack up. I do the, the daily motiv- morning motivation video or audio, morning motivation podcast. And uh, I think on the four, mid 400s, it's a seven day a week, <laughs> but you know, same idea. If you... You add seven to that, that counter every week. You quickly get into the 400s, 500s, thousands. You're like, wow, you've done so much. I'm like, I actually had, I had one episode about that. I'm like, I didn't do that much. I just did one every day. You know, I didn't sit down and record a 400 episodes. I did it a little bit every day, a little bit every week. That's the same as my push-ups. Push-ups mm-hmm. are one of my exercise for about the last probably 10 years now. And I've gone up every year and I add some, you know, more every day and I'll set a goal every year and you'll get to the end of the year and I'll, people know I do it. And so how many pushups you do this year? And I said, 50,000. <laughs> go, you what? Yeah, I did 50,000 50, pushups this year. Well, that'd be really hard. I go, well, it was challenging, but it wasn't that hard because I did, you know, about, about 125 a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not 50,000 in huh. once. 
Huh. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Just like the videos you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done I've done a lot of them, you've done a lot of them, but yeah. we didn't do a lot of them. We just did one every day. Yep. That's all we did. We just did the work. <laughs> just keep yeah, just do it and do it and do it. You're like, oh, wow. yeah. I mean, this is interview number 100 and something. I don't know until I publish out one of the exact number, but it's, you know, 120s probably. Um, yeah. So, and you know, your podcast in the hundred and hundred and something. So you just keep yeah. doing it, keep doing it. And suddenly you're like, wow, how do I get so high up on this mountain? <laughs> one step at a time. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, this, this has been fun and very interesting. And what I love about having a podcast, I get to have great conversations and then listen back to them later because they're recorded. Because when you're in it, you know, I've listened back. I'm like, was I there in the room when he said that? So <laughs> it's, it's always a great experience. So thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Michael. As I said at the beginning, I, I love these kind of conversations, and it definitely was fun. If you're not going to have fun, don't do it. Absolutely. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people, in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's jv-connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.